right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I'm your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, is Gabe Gums. Uh, we have an awesome guest today, Debbie Reynolds, the data diva. So interested Hello. to find out where you got that name. Um, obviously, we'll get into that, but uh, Debbie, thanks so much for, for coming on to the show. Well, thank you for having me on the show. This should be fun. You guys are fun. So, oh, Thanks so much. So I guess to start off things real, real simple, um, if you want to give the listeners a kind of a background of your, your history, where you came from, uh, we can start from childhood if you want, wherever you want to start. We would love to get to know you and, sure. uh, and see how you became the data diva okay. today. Let's start back in 1907, right? No. <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Debbie Reynolds. I'm the uh, CEO, founder, and chief data privacy officer of Debbie Reynolds Consulting. Um, I work with multinational corporations on data privacy and data movement, flow, data flow issues, uh, and a lot of uh, data-driven projects for well over 20 years. So I work a lot with uh, companies that have multinational data concerns, whether they're uh, in different markets around the world, they're trying to move into different markets, they're pivoting. I work a lot with investor groups, uh, software folks that are doing uh, software development, uh, also mature companies uh, that need, you know, someone who knows like way too much about data privacy. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is people always want to know how I got the name of Data Diva. So I was at a like a networking event and I met a woman. She was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And I was sort of doing my elevator pitch where I explained who I am and we're exchanging, mm-hmm. you know, names and stuff. And she just started laughing. She said, oh, my God, you're like you're like a data diva. And we just laughed about it. And then <laughs> I said, oh, why that's so funny. And she said, oh, you should totally use it. And I thought, at first I was kind of bashful about using because I thought, well, maybe you won't take me seriously. But I thought, well, you know, she's smart. She's a reporter. She knows how to sum things up really well. And I started using it. And people, like, love it. So I get calls from all over the world. People are like, oh, my God, I love that. So That's so it awesome. Works. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good ring. It's, it's simple. It's, you know, it goes well. Very it's, simple. It's Very your simple. persona. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess we'll just throw this out here right at the beginning. It seems like a question that I like to ask most um, and it seems the right place. So when you hear the term data privacy, obviously you, you have your own company. It's very important to you. You have a history in data privacy. What, what does that mean for you? And why is that so important? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for me, data privacy in my world is a data problem that has legal implications, not a legal problem that has data implications. So for me, it's all about the data and where it flows and different things like that. Uh, you know, so much more of the information that was never captured before is now captured in systems and companies are doing different things with them. Um, and a lot of us have no visibility to what is happening with our data, you know, who's using it, who's seeing it, what um, inferences are being made about us, you know, is it being used in employment, is it being used in credit, is it being used, you know, in banking or, you know, medical stuff, you just be surprised how this information goes. And then too, you want to, you know, hopefully companies, they want to make sure that they're following laws and they're being transparent. Uh, with individuals. But I think because data privacy laws differ so much from country to country, people aren't 100% sure about what their rights are. And then also companies 
if they're just doing business as usual, they may be trampling upon uh, the rights and freedoms of other people without knowing it. So for me, it's sort of a, a balancing act. Me, because I'm interested in privacy as an individual, but then also interested in helping companies be able to comply with privacy laws and still do business and make money. Yeah. So let's dive right into one of the topics that you brought up um, offline, which was facial recognition. Why don't we dive into that a little bit and, and the importance of it and why there are and should be privacy concerns around facial recognition? So facial recognition to me is uh, it's funny. So at the beginning of the year, someone asked me, like, you know, what do you think is going to be hot, the hot issue in 2020 about data privacy? And I thought and I said, I think it's going to be facial recognition because this impacts everyone you know, on Earth. Right. Uh, all of us, you know, there are cameras everywhere. We have our phones in our pocket. Even people without smartphones are taking photographs, putting things on social media. You know, a lot of our identity, uh, you know, we can't change our face, right? So if someone is using that in an identity system or biometrics like our um, fingerprints or something like that, if that gets hacked and we're seeing a lot of hacks happen, you know, there's a, a chance that someone would know enough information about you to impersonate you in the digital world. And what could you do? You could say, well, that, you know, that's not me. And they're like, well, that's your picture right there. So I think right. facial recognition is a really huge issue, especially as, as it relates to bias in algorithms. So let's say, you know, remember those old movies where, uh, where a person like has a mistaken identity, they're called the, the wrong man movies, right? Mm-hmm. Where and you think now, um, you know, well, well, you have a cell phone now, so that wouldn't happen, right? But now we have kind of the wrong man uh, thing happening with technology, which I thought this would never happen. So it's like, okay, well, someone thinks that you sort of look like this person, and so we're not going to let you on this plane because we think you're this person or you're this criminal. We're going to take you down to the to the courthouse and, you know, lock you up or something like that. And, you know, <laughs> a lot of bad things can happen. I don't know, you know, how you all feel about this, but like, I'm not like, I don't, not, uh, wouldn't enjoy having an in- intervention or a uh, altercation with, with a, um, you know, police or law enforcement over this wackiness like this. So, yeah. you know, no one wants that to happen to them. But I think, especially when we're talking about algorithms, um, you know, people somehow feel like computers no more than humans, and that's just not true. You know, humans really make the judgments or should be making judgments and decisions and not machines. So we have to really balance that with some common sense. And, you know, right now we have so much of this technology being sold as if it's so great and it's really not as accurate as it should be. That's a great point. <clears throat> when you talked about about uh, the movies, uh, I, I instantly went to Face Off and yes. thought about <laughs> uh, who am I thinking of? I, um, uh, who's the actor? John Travolta and uh, Nick Cage. This is hilarious. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Just, yes, I was talking about this movie this week. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then once once I thought about that, I remember I went on a rampage where there's a, a YouTube channel um, that someone created for Nicolas Cage and all of his freakouts and all of his movies, which. I just yes. instantly thought of that when you talked about the facial recognition. Absolutely. Yeah, that movie comes up a lot when people yeah. talk about this. So yeah. Makes sense. I think it goes well with uh, the chaos that they can go about with all of the situations. That's right. That's right. I agree. So what what does that mean uh, for, you know, consumers, for 
companies. How does that kind of tie into some of the, the facial recognition? Because I guess if, if there's anything that you have to add to that. It has a lot to do. So let's say, let me give you an example. So uh, Facebook was in a case, you know, many people use Facebook and you say you put your picture up there mm-hmm. and they have a feature where you can tag yourself or tag someone else. It is a cool thing that you do, but really they're just gathering that information and using it for other things. So right. if you're, uh, you know, I used this example uh, recently, let's say you and your grandma are in a photograph together. She's not on Facebook, but you are, you got a Facebook account. You put your picture up, she's on there, she's tagged on there. So Facebook has her information. She knows that she's related to you in some way, probably, based on the way that you post the information. But she would have no right to object to that data being there because she's not a customer of Facebook. So that's a huge issue when you think, wait a minute, that's my picture. Facebook is like, no, it's our picture now because someone gave it to us. So in order for her to have any rights or say over her picture, she would have to actually become a a customer of Facebook. So that's how customer rights work uh, in the U.S. Um, It's very different than uh, privacy as a fundamental human right in places like the EU. So I think it has a lot to do. I think people, I hear people all the time say, well, you know, privacy is my constitutional right. And it's like, no, actually it's not. So (laughs) privacy in the, the constitution is about unreasonable search and seizure and even that is being stretched very thin. So they're yeah. interpreting that to mean things in your physical space. So things that are digital, let's say you had a will or something. And typically, let's say in the old days, you had it printed out or something at home. The Constitution would, would uh, protect that as personal, private thing under the uh, Fourth Amendment if it was in your house. But if you take that same document and put it on in the cloud, it doesn't have the same protections. So, and that makes no sense. So there has to be a way to reconcile that. And people don't really understand those things. Right. Often overlooked is that in the constitution, really, we're just talking about what the government can do, not what Facebook can do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Private industry can do lots of things and we agree to many things. So to me, there's like no, there's like no ceiling. There's like no, there's no cap to what you could not agree to. Like there are some app, I don't know if you heard about this. So remember that app a while back that uh, people were downloading and it makes you look older. Mm-hmm. It takes your picture and make you look older. And people thought that was really cool. But what this app was doing when you sign up, it said, you know, you have to give us like the worldwide, you know, forever, ever, 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 ever rights to our data, <laughs> to your data. Uh, uh, and your information, your picture, and people did not realize that. So, let's say ten years from now, you're in Japan, and your picture's on the billboard because you put it on this app like ten years ago. Like there should be like a limit to like how much you could possibly agree to, just to look so at. So they just got the free app. models. They just got free. Hey, models. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so people don't really. I think people think that there are like more checks and balances that there than there are, and there just really aren't. You know. There are no guardrails. It's hard to say, you know, let's 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 try to make sure this is a good roadmap. It's like there literally is no road. So right. there is no roadmap. It's also scary because you have so many people that are on the left and the right that don't either care or are just uninformed and kind of over their head and they don't really understand, which right. is the majority, I'm sure. Or both. 
both yeah. uninformed and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't care. Bad, bad combination. Exactly. Gabe, did you have any other uh, topics on, on this? Yeah, I think, you know, before we move on, we, we highlighted a number of issues with this, but what do you have in terms of uh, advice for, the, for our listeners? Well, the advice I have is, you know, especially for apps and things on the phone, um, make sure you're only downloading things that you really want, that you really trust from people you really trust. Um, you know, they have things like, let's say you have a flashlight app and you think, oh, that's fine. I just use it for flashlight. This app may be reading your clipboard. Like, any, like let's say people copy and paste passwords from different apps or whatever. You know, these little innocuous apps may be like reading your clipboard or information that you're typing. And because you you just leave them on there because it's like more of a pain to keep them on there than not, you know, just delete things that you don't need off of your phone. Um, make sure you're not sharing phones or sharing passwords. Uh, make sure you put locks on your phone. You'd be surprised how many people don't want to put like a password on their phone. Um, and, you know, just regular computer safety. I say, you know, make sure you're rebooting your computer often. Probably shouldn't leave it on overnight. You know, you go to sleep and someone's dialing in doing stuff on your computer. You definitely don't want them to do that. Mm-hmm. Restarting it so that you're getting the patches that you need, um, the security patches. And then, you know, uh, phishing. Phishing is huge. So phishing has gone up like exponentially over the, the pandemic. That's people, hackers take advantage of people in fearful situations. So they don't have to create that situation. It's, it's here now, like with the pandemic and people are just doing weird mm-hmm. things they are not typically doing. So a phishing email or something, uh, they say, um, I think 90% of phishing comes through email. So like you yeah. get an email, email that you didn't ask for, you weren't expecting, and it has a link in it and it's saying, hey, you know, transfer this money over here, or, you know, whatever. Uh, you definitely don't want to get into those situations. But it, especially if you get an email and it looks suspicious, you know, tell the person to call you, pick up the phone to call the person that they say that they are. Chances are if you're switching that pattern up with them, they're going to stop because they know, okay, the, the jig is up. You know, they want to keep you yeah. on whatever channel they have, whether if they call you, they want to continue to talk to you on the phone. They don't want to mm-hmm. email. If they're emailing, they don't want to talk to you on the phone. So you want to definitely switch it up with them and then they'll stop. That's good advice. Cause I know that that's the, the phone scams for getting access to your computer and that kind of thing, which has been happening for years, but um, hopefully nobody is, there's plenty of people that fall for it, but uh, <laughs> um, unfortunately, so this, this actually sparked something that I was thinking of and I totally forgot what I was going to say. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Oh no, no, I remembered. Okay. So what, what just popped up was remember the, how, how legit is the, taking someone's photo and using their photo to unlock their facial recognition on their phone. Is that a real thing? Does that, you know, that... it used to be a real thing and they used to do it with uh, fingerprints too. So yeah. They could take a copy or fingerprint. I think the, the facial recognition has gotten better. Uh, yeah. uh, they, they con- continually improve it and they know that people are sort of doing that. It's hard to do, uh, especially with a flat, photograph but it's not impossible um yeah i sort of saw people doing that doing things like that early on but then once you know apple found out about it they sort of you know improved it uh as much as they can but 
you know, a lot of us, especially facial recognition, you know, a lot of people unlock their phones with their face and, you know, the information is out there somewhere. Uh, yeah. Or if you walk into a grocery store, you know, it's, uh, facial recognition too is going to be a huge thing because, especially because of the, the pandemic, uh, you know, a lot of companies or a lot of businesses are going to these thermal cameras. Even the airports, they're going to start installing thermal cameras to tell who has a fever or something like that. And a lot of those systems also have facial recognition in them. So it's like, yeah. buy one, get one free, something like that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, they're going to definitely is a toy that they're going to have and people are going to be able to try to use it. Well, thank you for that. So we can move on to the other topic. Um, so TikTok talk, topic, that's a tongue twister. You were talking, you were mentioning something about how the app could read your clipboard on your iPhone and Android devices. Let's dive into that a little bit. And Yeah. Well, it's not just TikTok. So uh, people right. were in, up, up in arms about TikTok. I was sort of scratching my head because I'm like, well, this could, you could actually do this almost a- on anything. So this is the deal. So let's say you have a, um, a Apple phone. Uh, you're running iOS anything, basically. Uh, the phone has a capability uh, for clipboard reading. So it has a native capability that if an app is programmed in such a way that they can read your clipboard, some app makers, they don't do it because they don't need it. But people who are being, you know, naughty, they, they program the stuff into their apps so that they can read your clipboard. So, so the one thing is that the capability exists on the phone. And then the, the second part is you have to have a app that is programmed in the way that it can read your clipboard. So, the one thing that Apple is doing with one of their more re- more current updates is not out yet. I think it's 14 or something. Um, they're going to send you a notice to let you know when an app is reading your clipboard. So a lot of times you won't know uh, what apps yeah. that are doing that. And a lot of times you just have no clue that it's doing it anyway. So it, uh, re- the reason why they have that, that function in there is because um, on a phone, because you're running different apps, you're copying and pasting one thing from one app to another. It just helps you do that transaction on your phone, copy and paste from one to the other. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bad actor that has a bad app on your phone, they may be reading that clipboard even though you're not granting permission. And you don't even have to paste the data anywhere. Just the fact that you copied it means that it's available to any app that has access or has that on your phone. So I have a... Um, I have an app. I, I started seeing it, noticing it from apps like, um, you know, like FedEx or UPS. Makes mm-hmm. sense, right? So yeah. just like your phone can tell that, you know, you click on a link and they know that it's a FedEx number, right? That's how they do it. They're reading your clipboard and they're saying, oh, this is a FedEx number. So let me take you to FedEx or something. So that's that's really what the clipboard was made for. It wasn't for TikTok to read your clipboard or your passwords. <laughs> Wow. But they program that into their, their application. You say they, and I know there's been a number of other concerns with regards to TikTok and maybe some nation-state privacy concerns vis-a-vis China. So, I mean, when we look at uh, the overall governance of applications in the App Store, et cetera, is there, is, is there any light at the end of that tunnel? Do you see any... Any changes coming now, either through legislation or just through, uh, you know, the way that the, the pressures and pushbacks from or from uh, from consumers? That's a 
good question. Uh, that's a very loaded question, actually. It's a very <laughs> deep, difficult question. Uh, you know, there are so many different layers to this problem. So one is consent. Like the person, let's say, I know that TikTok takes all my data, but I just like to do dances on TikTok. So there's that. And then there's the company saying, well, you know, we don't make the apps. We just serve them up to you. And then it's kind of your responsibility. Or they say, well, let's, on the OS level, let's do something different just so we give people more transparency about what they're doing. And then you have the federal government and the state that are doing totally other different things. So it's so many different layers uh, uh, to to any of the apps or data that we use. Um, so I think you just have to be vigilant. Uh, you know, I know it's not popular that people don't want to read privacy policies. Um, they're very boring and they make them that way. Mm-hmm. I think almost they make it, they make it extremely, extremely hard uh, to have to read through these things. But I actually do read through them. Uh, and you'd be frightened by some of the things that you would have agreed to. You're like, this is not worth it. You know, for <laughs> me, you know, should I, you know, give, you know, sign, sign away my firstborn, you know, just use like an app to do a meme. Like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what is the craziest thing that you've read that's realistic that you can remember that just stood out to you? Uh, oh, so you get a kick out of this. So, uh, this is early on, uh, when uh, Google started doing Gmail. Mm-hmm. So remember, so you guys are, you're young whippersnappers, so you don't remember back in the old days. <laughs> when <laughs> the old, old timey days when Google was just a search engine. But once it became, uh, you know, Gmail and all these other apps, what people don't understand is that when you're in the Google ecosystem, the data that you're, you say, let's say you're searching on Google and you close your browser, right? And you go on Gmail, you do other things. Like all that stuff is like commingled together. So they match your, they're doing analytics between what you're searching for and they're looking at things in your mailbox. That's why, you know, you start getting these weird coupons for stuff. You're like, what the hell? Like I was just talking to my friend about this and all of a sudden I get a coupon in the mail for this thing, uh, you know, so uh, that's one thing people don't understand. So you think you're on, you're on, I'm on Google, I'm searching, I'm just all, you know, you may even, you know, be fancy enough to go incognito, which is nothing. Like that means zero. Yeah. Actually, I think they look at searches, incognito searches more because you think that they should be private. It's almost better to like not use incognito because then it's just in the regular pool of searches. They're suggesting that the safest way is to uh, hide in the noise. Eh? Just go ahead and blend That's right. right. Exactly. Just go all out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then two, I for privacy browsing, you know, certain things you don't want. Like, you know, I work in a lot of different accounts and different clients. So for me, I use like a lot of different browsers because maybe I don't want my browser to remember the last password or something like that. So, um, my advice, instead of going to the incognito within a Google browser, go to a different browser completely. So, you know, I, I like Brave. I use Opera for stuff. So I may jump over to those to do different things. And then sort of the stuff I want them to remember, I put it into Google. It's interesting. Yeah. So I guess we can touch on uh, access to photos. Yeah. Access to photos is a big issue. So people... Yeah. So... 
I'm not a fan of putting my photos in the cloud, even though if you're on, let's say you're on iPhone and you're using their photos, mm-hmm. uh, you know, almost everyone has a cloud account and you're probably using it in the cloud somewhere. Like, let's say if you have the, um, the capability or you signed up so that you can see things on multiple devices, the only way they can do that is to put the stuff in the cloud. So right. um, you just have to navigate uh, that stuff. Um, I know that um, like Google as well, like Google used to have this app that I love. They discontinued um, many years ago that will let you have, um, it will organize photos on your local computer, but not put them in the cloud. But so the new Google stuff, like they almost try to force you into the cloud. Almost all these apps try to force you in the cloud. So even um, Microsoft, which drives me crazy, like I'll be doing like a Word document or something and say, oh, save on OneDrive. And I'm like, damn it, I don't want it on OneDrive. So, <laughs> so like you just really have to, so much, you know, because they feel like people want to work from anywhere. They want to put things in the cloud. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously there are some things that are obviously to make my life easier for it to be in cloud, but those, you know, for me, photos, that's not one of those things. It's a good point. I think even now, <clears throat> how long the cloud has been out, I think we're all still questioning what is the cloud. Right. It's not a big, fluffy, fluffy, <laughs> cute thing. It's totally not that. So, no. Yeah. Well, super. Here we are. We're, we're, we're in COVID world and everyone's yeah. wearing a mask. I mean, we're not wearing them now because we're all, now, at, at our respective locations, I, for example, am joining you live from this beautiful beach, as you can That's see. Right, exactly, exactly. And uh, and, and so there is there there is a level of anonymity, I think, that that we all feel when we're walking around these days. But uh, I actually want to make more of a point, then ask a question. Recognition as it goes has already been evolving. We saw that during the protests in Hong Kong. They move from just facial recognition to gate recognition, being able to identify people just based on the way they walk. So, you know, at some point, that expectation of privacy kind of goes away. So, which is to say, you know, once you're out in the public, once you leave your own your own domicile, that it, it, it's gone. It's, I think it's always been gone. Yeah. But, uh, but, but what advice do you have for folks getting a bit more realistic about their expectations of privacy? I think everyone should jump into a potato sack and just hop down the street. That's what I think. So, so everyone looks the same. They can't tell. I just, I just pictured Gabe doing that. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think it's always been, you know, so in public, people just in general wouldn't have an expectation of privacy in general. But, um, you know, now so much of our the things we do in pipe in public that no one would have ever cared about is all sort of tracked. So let's say uh, 30 years ago when you went out and got milk, no one cared. Like no one was tracking where you're going or anything. Do you have a phone in your pocket? You know, it knows exactly what time you went to the grocery store, what time you got in your car to go home. Uh, there are beacons in stores that are tracking. Are you inside the store? Are you outside the store? You spent two minutes in the frozen food aisle. You know, you like, Briar's ice cream, you know, so all this information that this didn't mean anything before, it's all being gathered, collected, and collated in some way. 
And even what you say about the gate recognition, believe it or not, that is a super easy way to recognize people (laughs) because people don't understand their walk is very distinct. Like I can see like a crowd of someone and I can spot someone just by, you know, the way Mm -hmm. their head moves up and down, the way their legs move. Oh, my God, that's so and so. So I can see how they could do that. But then you the issue is, what are they doing with this information? (laughs) Like, are they? saying, oh, my God, someone who walks like this, you know, we think he needs to be in jail or something. You're like, wait a minute. We, you know, I hurt my toe. I don't, you know, I don't walk like this. You know, the whole Kaiser Sose thing on a usual suspects. Like, yeah, defeating gate recognition before we knew it was a thing. Right. Exactly. 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 So he was much smarter than we are these days. So it's what? just how, how innocuous this information can be. So I'll give you an example. So... <clears throat> This is interesting. So this has to do with uh, Cambridge Analytica, actually. So Mm -hmm. Cambridge Analytica, as you know, they had taken a lot of information from Facebook, which they were in hot water for. But what they did was they took this information and then they created psychological profiles. And then they went back into Facebook and started targeting ads to people based on their psychological profile. So the whistleblower who was in this Cambridge Analytica case is actually fascinating you hear him tell he basically told everything uh, about how they did things but one thing he said they were working on called the Kit Kat project so the Kit Kat project was this project where they were sending certain anti-semitic ads to Facebook and people who were saying they liked those ads they had done like some type of data analysis they were sending them other types of ads and they said that it seemed like most of the people who liked the anti-Semitic ads also like Kit Kat bars. So does that, let's say someone down the line looks at this data and they say, well, do Kit Kat bars make you an anti-Semite or are you an anti-Semite if you like Kit Kat bars? Well, right. correlation does not equal causation. So That's I just, right. want to, just want to point out to all my Kit Kat loving folks with the <laughs> Whether you like the left side of the Kit Kat, the right side of the Kit Kat. Wait, is that Twix? I can't That's follow. Twix. <laughs> nougats or not nougats? I, I can't follow anymore. That's um, right. Exactly. But who's to say that people, you know, I, I say that a lot. Correlation is not causation. But someone looking at that data could make that inference. And let's say someone made that inference. That, okay, Gabe likes Kit Kat bars. We're not going to hire him because we think he's an anti-Semite because this is what this data told us. So you know, as ridiculous as that sound, those things can happen, you know, uh, yeah. because that data is there and people are making these inferences or machines are making inferences that are not correct. I'd just like to point out for any future employees, I'm more of a Snickers man. That's right. <laughs> me too. Snickers is the best. Yeah. Awesome. I'm more Twix though. I like Twix best. But, yeah. <laughs> those are all three good choices. That's right. Exactly. Let's those just be honest. I mean... <laughs> Exactly. There's chocolate. There's goodness inside. <laughs> let's not let's not make it too uh, complicated. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's just an example of how kind of data can be manipulated or inferences that people make that may not be correct. That's a good point. I, you know, it got me thinking. And maybe companies are maybe they're trying to do this, but is there is there a way or is there something going on right now where they're actually using it for good instead of money? Um, it seems like it's obviously all about money, but it, it would be interesting to use data that's available and the facial 
you know, the beacons where you can track people. Cause if you can, obviously there's a, there's a line because then there's no privacy if you know where someone is at all times, but it would also help if someone became kidnapped or lost or, you know, there's things oh, yeah. that could be useful with some of the stuff, especially like on, on uh, college campuses and stuff. And Absolutely. <clears throat> I also tell a lot of elderly people. I know a lot of elderly people who don't like to carry cell phones. They're just old fashioned. They totally need to have cell phones because, you know, I tell my dad that all the time. Uh, he didn't mind carrying a cell phone. He just loved to play with it and like mess it up and do things, wild things with it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, for especially an older person or someone who's by themselves, you know, it may be important for you to know, you know, where they are and how you can, can get to them. Um, I hi- will highly recommend uh, that people carry cell phones for stuff like that for your family to be able to, you know, contact you, especially, you know, and my father, he was 80-something, and, you know, he, he liked to drive and stuff like that. And I don't want him driving around without, like, a cell phone. So, like, if his car broke down, I want to know, like, where he was, be able to, you know, track him down. So that's kind of the good things uh, that I can think of uh, with using technology like that. But then it's really also creepy. Uh, you know, there was a guy who got arrested um, because he walked past a particular house on a particular day. So they didn't have enough evidence to say. So basically they arrested him and he had to prove that he didn't rob this house, basically. So they were saying, well, you walk past this house. And he's like, well, I live like down the street. So like every day from work, (laughs) I walk. This is like the way that I walk. But because the, the cops didn't have any other evidence, they sort of dragged him in. And he was arrested and he had to spend all this money to try to get out of this entanglement just because of this. Good use of words with the entanglement there. Sorry, I had to throw that in That's there. That's right. <laughs> Just the state of the Will Smith, Jada Pickett Smith. Anyways. Exactly. That word has new, new meaning. <laughs> it does. More than we thought it ever did. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, just think about that. So like you walk past someone's house, the GPS isn't that accurate, you know? So it's not like they can't tell, are you in the house? Are you down the street? Are you across the street? It's just, you know, even you use your GPS on your phone, they just assume you're on the street because you're in a car. So if you're yeah. walking, that doesn't mean that you're in someone's house breaking in or anything like that. But I mean, those are the types of uh, situations that can happen when people overly rely on technology. And they, they assume that it's so uh, precise, almost like people have been watching my Minority Report. It's like, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's <laughs> not as accurate and as cool as it looks like on TV. Yet it doesn't work that way yet. Not yet, <laughs> right? They're they're aiming, they're aiming for that definitely. So there's certainly a lot of like privacy in general can be a, a daunting, scary thing to think about. And we've talked today about a lot of scenarios that are they they run the, the gamut from troublesome to to somewhat amusing. Um, but are there any developments in in privacy, whether again it's technology or legislation or anything that you've been pleasantly surprised by lately? Oh, no one ever asked me that question. Looking for the feel-good privacy story. A (laughs) feel-good privacy story? Yes. You know what? We just all, you know, we traffic in horror, basically. So it's hard to think of a really good good, uh, privacy story. Um, Let's see. I think Canada and New Zealand have adequate protection <laughs> according to the eu i think that's a happy dance story the isle of man you know those places um 
happy stories. It's, it really, you know, I don't know. I, it's interesting that you asked this question because I feel like a lot of privacy people I know, we all sort of talk about gloom and doom all the time. I try not to. I'd say, like, look, this is the way it is. And then, like, let's try to figure, sort things out as opposed to, oh, the world's going to explode if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't believe that either. Um, but I think um, I would love to see uh, privacy be a fundamental human right in the U.S., I don't know if that will ever happen uh, in our lifetimes, but I would love to see that because I feel like, you know, you know, the fact that you walk down the street with the phone in your pocket shouldn't mean that every single thing that's recording you or any cell tower that you're pinging off of is like, you know, turning your data into some money machine somewhere. Uh, you know, I hate to think that that would be sort of the way that we are, cause I, you know. I'm like everyone else. You want to like get out and do do whatever and not have to feel like you're, you know, tracked or watched all the time, or at least to have more transparency. Like, you know, I don't like that. Like, I don't want this tracked about me. So to be able to have that visibility and that choice, I would love to have that. Yeah, I hear you there. I'll uh, I'll I'll toss up my own somewhat amusing, uh, maybe not a privacy story, but you mentioned like GPS is knowing your location. So there was a researcher who realized that you could uh, you could take a bunch of phones, and so he got dozens of phones, and he uh, he enabled um, I think it was like Google Maps or one of the, the mapping services, and he put them all in the back uh, of like a you know, little red wagon that he could pull behind him, and he just walked down the streets and they detected all of these vehicles in the streets causing a traffic jam. So when other persons were, were had their GPS on, it showed that road as being red and rerouted them all, even though it was That's one, awesome. uh, a red wagon full of cell phones. So maybe it's time we start pranking the, the, uh, the privacy snoops back a bit more like that. <laughs> yeah, I love that story, actually. So that illustrates that the GPS can't tell how close things are one another and just the fact that it was on a street they thought it was a car not a wagon so you know, all those things have to be thought through and sort out literally so yeah. yeah it seems like there's always a way around <clears throat> when it comes to technology on tricking the technology yeah so you can call it hacking yes oh absolutely they are <laughs> there was some uh i just read this about some this is happening in london or somewhere in the uk where Someone found some hack to ATMs that that it will make it dispense money just completely. It would com- like, you know, 40 or 50 bills in a couple seconds. It would just empty the whole thing out. Uh, and this is some it was not a software hack it's some hardware hack that someone has. That they know how to do uh, and it just empties the whole ATM out. I'm like, wow, this is ridiculous. Wow. I'm like. These people, they could cure cancer and go to Mars. They like really put their mind to it. This is outrageous. Their defense, there there are no ATMs on Mars. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that we right. know of. That we exactly. Know. Exactly. No, there's a teacup of water somewhere on Mars right. that they're looking for right now. Ratio <laughs> from Mars bucks to uh, dollars also. Exactly. 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 Yeah, so we're going to trash the Earth and then go to Mars. I think that's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a shame. I think that's the plan. That's the plan. So, yeah. So, so uh, it, before I move on to the last segment, I just want to see if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you want to share with 
our listeners and your listeners, of course, um, and any, any advice, any, any good stories like we've been talking about, anything that you want to kind of just lay out there that we didn't get to touch on that's important right now that you might be speaking about soon? Yeah, well, I will. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me uh, to this session. You guys are fun. So it's always nice to be able to have a fun conversation with you guys. Um, Absolutely. Also, you know, I think people should just be on the lookout for, um, well, two things, actually. On Monday, the big CEOs of, of like Google, Apple, um, Facebook, and Amazon are going to be on Capitol Hill testifying uh, in front of Congress. So I'm hoping their Congress is more prepared to ask them much better questions than they had in the past. Yeah. And there are lots to talk about, right? So uh, talk about disinformation, um, the Earn It Act, uh, encryption, um, China, <laughs> you know, all those types of things. So I think that will come up. Uh, that people would probably be interested in, especially as it, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us patronize these companies. So it'd be interesting to hear about what they, their thinking is about us as consumers and kind of our rights. Um, another thing I have coming up next week, I'm speaking on a panel, a virtual panel for a conference in Europe, actually called PrivSec. And the session I'm doing at this um, women in privacy, talking about how to manage privacy programs with big, organization. So, uh, so it's me, uh, a woman who's a consultant in the UK. Uh, there's a woman who's um, a Facebook Ireland, someone else from Microsoft. And in Highway, um, the, that, uh, the Asian manufacturer of, uh, of, you know, cell phones and other types of digital devices. So that's next week. <laughs> I can send you the link to that. It's for, for free. Uh, I'll send you the link as complimentary if you want to attend that conference. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, I can put them in the notes for sure. Um, this kind of gave me a, another idea for a question before we move on to the last segment. Um, obviously being <clears throat> a woman and a, a woman in tech and privacy, um, I don't want to ask the general question. I don't want to ask what probably gets asked a lot to you. I more so want to know how you got into privacy, like why are you so passionate about it and what kind of what kind of plan and infrastructure did you have going into creating your your organization when it comes to privacy? Good question. Uh, actually, I read a book called The Right to Privacy in 1997, believe it or not. Did not know that. My, my mother wrote, my mother had written, had, uh, she heard about the book or she bought it and I actually read it. And it was fascinating. I was like, oh, my God, you know, because they were, they were talking about different scenarios uh, about privacy and the privacy rights you have. And I just had no idea because you just assume, oh, I have all this privacy right. And they were talking about, no, you actually don't. So some of the examples they were using were like, okay, so let's say someone was walking past your house and the window was open. And they just looked in, like, do you have a right? You know, have they infringed upon your right? Well, not really, because yeah. your window is open. You could, you know that someone can see you from the street. Okay, so let's say they jump the fence and they go right into your window. Then, you know, are they, you know, uh, you know, infringing upon your privacy? Well, yeah, sort of, because they're in your private property, you know. What if they're on a, in a drone now? So I'm using my own example. A drone is flying over your house. You know, then you do you have the right to privacy. Well, how high are they up? Like, are they up 500 feet, 50 feet? You know, it may be different depending on how far up they are. 
right. whether you have a right to privacy or not. So to me, all these different scenarios just got my wheels turning. And I just kept up with it over the years because it was just a personal, you know, passion of mine. But then my work, um, you know, I would work with multinational corporations to move like electronic evidence around the world. And I had done that for over 20 years. And over the last few years, uh, that um, work started merging with all the stuff that was happening with the regulations. So people knew that I knew those you know, from different countries, you know, I've worked on like six continents. So I can probably tell you back and forth, like the history of almost anything in the last 25 years that happened to privacy. So one of the biggest, one of, one of the first thing, one of the first big things made me think to go directly into privacy is that I was speaking at a conference about it. And a woman in the audience asked me to come talk um, about it. And at her company. She worked at McDonald's Corporation. So I literally, this was before the GDPR, had a, um, a meeting with like all the global lawyers at McDonald's Corporation about data privacy. So I was in a Big Mac room. It's literally shaped like a Big Mac or was at one point. <laughs> it's like the UN, but it's like round, like the, a Big Mac, basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but most so over the last like five or six years, almost every call I've gotten has been about privacy. So for me, it made the most sense. It's the thing I'm really passionate about. Uh, people are very interested in it. You know, before when the GDPR was passed in 2016, like there was not a publication in the U.S. to say anything about it. And I'm like, this is super duper major. And yeah. no one said anything about it. So, you know, I, I just started doing my writing and speaking uh, and, and just advocating for it. So people just know me uh, from that and different things. So that's my story. That's awesome. Well, thank you for what you do and for, <clears throat> for, you know, being, you know, one of the the voices to spread awareness about it and it's getting better. And, and I'm so glad to be a part of the industry and, and uh, trying to help protect what matters. So, yeah. I think it's um, interesting because it 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 impacts us too, right? As right. individuals. So not every job that you do would impact you, you know, beyond just like, you know, earning a living or something. So to me, I'm very passionate about it as an individual because I want to know, like, what are my rights, damn it? I want to know <laughs> like, what what's going on. Like, what's, what's happening? So I want to know. <laughs> Agreed. That's awesome. Um, so let's move on to some fun questions. Oh, great. I love it. Seriously, how do you like your eggs? I hate eggs. All right. I don't like eggs. <laughs> so what do you eat for breakfast? That's the um, right name, by the way. Bacon. Oh, my God. Bacon. Bacon, bacon and toast. Yeah. I could be convinced yes. to have eggs. I love grits. Oh, my God. Me too. I don't, I don't get, so I can't make grits. I have to go out and find grits somewhere. So somebody help me. <laughs> find some grits. So I, I, grew, I grew up eating grits, and uh, my wife, actually, they're from up north, and they don't even know what grits is so well my my boyfriend is jewish and he had never had grits since last until last year and like that's like one of his favorite things now oh it's so good if it's if it's good grits yeah it's good good yeah so grits bacon and toast bam you got it that's a good breakfast it is yeah um so what what are your biggest pet peeves or uh, your biggest pet peeve my biggest pet peeve oh wow let me think about that let's see my biggest pet peeve is probably just, just like things on the floor, like you know, you see like pieces of paper or something on the floor. It drives me bonkers, or like <laughs> you know, like wet surfaces. So 
like a sink that has like water on it and stuff. It drives me bananas. Bananas. Like spots, like water spots and stuff. Yeah, like just yeah. you know, like you like you're in a bathroom or something. Someone's like shaking their hands, like they're a wet pup, puppy or something. There's like water everywhere. That would drive me nuts. <laughs> like oh my god. <laughs> So you mentioned your mom a little bit earlier about that book and mm-hmm. it got me thinking who, who's someone that you actually really admire? Uh, good question. I would definitely say my mother, uh, she passed away about 20 years ago, but uh, you know, she had a passion uh, for learning. She uh, grew up in the South. Um, you know, I'm like a first generation college student in my family. Um, That's awesome. I was the first person to go to college, but then my other two siblings went after me and they like, you know, my sister has like a stack of degrees. It's ridiculous. I told her, you inspired her. You inspired her. I told her, stop going to school. Like, I think, you know, if she hears like the pop and circumstance songs, she'll just start marching. She like loves to matriculate constantly trying to <laughs> graduate from somewhere. Uh, but for her, you know, learning and education were really important. And, you know, she used to, I still do what she taught us to do. Like, you know, uh, we didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. We had to read a lot of books. She made us read a lot of like news. And we thought, oh man, this sucks. You know, like we had to read the newspaper every day. And so I still do like a lot of those things. Like I only watch TV maybe one hour a week uh, because I'm doing other things. It used to be a lot more fun when Game of Thrones was on. So like I try to figure out what's going to be my hour, what's worth my one hour a week. And, you know, I just love to read and, and do things like that. So she really, really um, uh, inspired me in that way. And then too, my dad was very curious. So he was a, a, a mechanic. So he used to, mm-hmm. you know, not only cars and trucks, but like airplanes and stuff like that. Like he loves to like take things apart, figure out how things work. So I think that's one thing that makes me really good at technology because I like, love to know how things work. Like I any device I get, I want to like stretch it to the limit, like see how far I can go with it. It's really neat. It's funny how we, when we grow up, we don't realize how we learn from our parents and we get most of our joy and our love from the things that we grew up around. So true. What would be the worst thing for the government to make it legal? Ooh, the worst thing for the government to make it legal. Uh, I don't know. Probably, you know, Throwing uh, troops all around the country that are <laughs> <laughs> like a stormtrooper or something. I don't know. Um, I think anything that has that will kind of curtail someone's civil rights, I think that's a problem. So I will be very upset about that. Uh, so, And I'm always curious about this. If, if you could be any... If you could have any superpower, uh, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. I think probably invisibility. I think that would be cool. So you just kind of go everywhere and like watch stuff or maybe. I'd be a prankster. <laughs> people watch. I'd be a prankster. I like hit people in the back of their head and not knowing what's happening. So. <laughs> Sounds like a privacy violation, Debbie. That sounds like a privacy That's violation. right. But if I was invisible, how would they get me? They wouldn't get me. Yeah. So. <laughs> Her privacy and violate everyone else's. That's right, exactly. That would be the fun of it all. <laughs> That's a good one. I think most people would want to have the, the ability to be invisible because there's just so many funny things that you can do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Scare people half to death. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
Especially the ones you love. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> that's no more joy than that. That's <laughs> right. You got to prank your loved ones. Always. <laughs> yeah. Gift that keeps on giving. That's right. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a delight. You're, you're such a wonderful person and uh, you can hear the passion. And again, thank you for what you do. And um, if you, again, we'll share all of the links to connect with you. Um, Cause I know you do your own podcast as well. Um, what, what's, you want to give the handle for that and then we'll share that as well. Yeah. Well, I haven't done it yet. So I'm still cooking, cooking the brew of what I'm doing. So I'm not going to release it yet, but when I do, I will definitely let you know. Okay. Sure. Everybody heard it here first. So That's we're right. The, we're the you're first right. You're, you're the first in that to know that I have. I can delete coming. this if you want me to. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. It's fine. It's it's upcoming. I'm, it's in the works. So I'm baking the cake, as they say. So. I like it. Breaking news on uh, privacy, please. For That's Debbie's right. Podcast. <laughs> awesome. Well, Debbie, again, thank you so much. And Gabe, if you want to close this out. Oh, look, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, as we continue to evolve through this changing privacy landscape, I welcome and invite you to come on back on the show. Um, when you do launch a show, let us know. We'd be happy to, uh, to to make sure folks know know what you're up to and what you're doing out there. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on, Cameron. Thank you. Thanks so much, Debbie. We'll talk to you later. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.